I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 465 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I have got an awesome dad returning to the podcast today. Former Navy SEAL and New York Times bestselling author Jack Carr joins me on First Class Fatherhood today. Jack just dropped his newest book in what is one of the greatest thriller series ever written. The Devil's Hand is now available, so go check the link in today's show notes or just go hit it on Amazon. And I'm telling you guys right now, you're going to want to go back to the first book, The Terminal List, and read them all the way through with True Believer and then Savage Son, because Jack's series has been picked up by Amazon TV for a series starring Chris Pratt as the former Navy SEAL James Reese, who is the protagonist of Jack Carr's series. And you cannot get a more authentic-feeling fictional character about a Navy SEAL than having an author who spent more than 20 years in naval special warfare like Jack Carr. In the Navy SEAL teams, Jack served as a team leader, platoon commander, troop commander, and task unit commander. Jack brings his combat veteran experience and blends that with his God-given talent and ability to write stories, and the result is very clear on every page of his books. Of course, Jack Carr is a first-class father as well. I'm honored to have him back on the podcast today. Jack Carr will be with me here in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Jack Carr was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch the conversation between the Navy SEAL and New York Times bestselling author and myself, hit me with a subscribe on YouTube, First Class Fatherhood. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. And if you guys do enjoy today's interview with Jack Carr and you'd like to listen to other interviews that I've done with Navy SEAL dads, there is a treasure trove of Frogman episodes that are available in the archives of First Class Fatherhood including my interviews with Jocko Willink, Marcus Luttrell, Rob O'Neill, Medal of Honor recipient Navy SEALs such as Ed Byers, Bob Kerry, and Michael Thornton, plus over 60 others. you got to go check them all out. They're all available to listen to at your convenience. And lock it in for Friday's episode. I'm going to be joined here by Backstreet Boys member AJ McLean, so don't miss out on that. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, I ask that you hit me with a rating or review wherever you are listening. That really goes a long way to help me out. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about the podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Jack Carr. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. The Devil's Hand by Jack Carr is now available wherever books are sold. The Devil's Hand, which is the fourth thriller in the Terminalist series, follows former Navy SEAL James Reese as he is entrusted with a top-secret CIA mission of retribution 20 years in the making. Publishers Weekly says, Carr delivers engrossing backstory, incorporates current events seamlessly, and never flinches from breathless depictions of violence. Booklist states, Carr continues to draw from his own experiences as a SEAL to give the story a level of realism that writers who've not actually served sometimes have a hard time achieving. The Real Book Spy says, The Terminalist is widely regarded as one of the best debut thrillers of all time, and rightfully so, but The Devil's Hand is even better and should go down as one of the best books in the genre, period. New York Times bestselling author Brad Thor says, So powerful, so pulse-pounding, so well-written. Let's go, dads. Grab your copy today wherever books are sold. The Devil's Hand by Jack Carr, available now. And don't miss my interview with Navy SEAL and New York Times bestselling author Jack Carr, right here on First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now, First Class Father, Jack Carr. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Well, thank you for having me back on First Class Fatherhood. It's always great to see you. 
Yeah, it's, it's an honor to have you back on the show here, Jack. Lots happened since the last time we spoke. Let's get a quick update on your three kids here. How old are they now, and how have they been making out with school through the pandemic here? Oh, it's crazy. So they're uh, 15, 13, and 10. I always have to give that a, a second to, to make sure I get it right. But uh, yeah, we're in Utah. Utah's done a great job. Like they, it was actually two couple days ago was the uh, anniversary of when I got the phone call that said kids are coming home and they're not going back to school. Or maybe it was they're coming home for two weeks uh, and then we'll see what, what happens. And I knew right away, I'm like, no, they're not going back to school this year. Uh, so they were in the house for from mid-March uh, through, well, when they started again in the fall, but I was writing the book and now we're all under the same roof. The kids are there. There's uncertainty about the pandemic. There's uncertainty financially for a lot of families, uh, uncertainty health-wise for a lot of people, a lot of crazy different information out there. People really don't know what's going on. And then I'm trying to launch a book, the last one at the same time. And the kids are right outside the door. And if you close the door, people that are working from home know how this works. When you close that door to your office, it's like a magnet. And it's like, oh, they're, they're there. The dog, kids, wife. It's like when you close that door and maybe make an announcement that says, hey, dad's going to work now, it's a magnet. You know, you're better just to kind of sneak off to a guest room or something like that and, uh, and start typing away to do what you need to do without making a big deal of it. Because if you do and shut those doors, koosh, magnet. Kids are there. Yeah, it's great. I've been dealing with that myself. I got four kids and it's like it's been an adjustment for them being home from school, especially last year. My older ones have been back to school now, which has been great. But in the beginning, I I do all my recording usually when they're at school. So it's like I have the whole house almost to myself. And, and it's been an adjustment, just, just like it has been for everybody, though. So. Yeah, exactly. We're all figuring uh, it out. But, yeah, Utah did a great job. So they did go back to school in the fall, and uh, they've been pretty much in school the, the whole time. Yeah, very cool. If you could, Jack, please just take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, so I served 20 years in the SEAL teams. Uh, but even before that, I knew from a very early age that I was going to serve my country in uniform, and then I was going to write fiction, the type that I that I write today. So as I was getting ready to transition, I took all that reading that I'd done as a kid growing up uh, and applied that to the academic study of warfare, to terrorism insurgencies and counterinsurgencies, uh, to my practical experience on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan. And that all came together at the right time and place while I flipped that chapter on the military side of the life and uh, and moved in to this next side as an author and in, uh, in publishing. So uh, so that's the, that's the background, that's the 30 second background anyway. Yeah, and thank you for your service, of course, Jack. And you have just been crushing it in the fictional world here. And and then last time I had you on here it was right before True Believer was about to drop. And I, I had asked you, uh, about, and you were trying to shop it at the time for a series or for the movie or whatever it was. And you had one particular person in mind to play the protagonist. That turned out to be Chris Pratt. Now, you could have helped me out by dropping that here on the show. But I understand we couldn't make that happen. That That is huge for you. What has it been like for you to, to land Chris Pratt to play the protagonist uh, for, for the series? And what have your kids seen him in like Jurassic Park? What was kind of their reaction to you getting him for the role? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was cool for about 30 seconds, you know, as a, as a dad. But as I started writing, so I started writing this, uh, the first novel, and I think it was like December of 2014, maybe something along along those lines. So as I started down this path, being a child of the 80s, it was very hard for me not to think of someone playing my protagonist in a series or in a movie. And as I started down this path, I thought of Chris Pratt. And it's a strange person to think of, especially for that time, because he hadn't done Avengers, hadn't done Jurassic Park, hadn't done Guardians of the Galaxy. He was uh, was Andy on Parks and Rec, and he had a very small role in Zero Dark Thirty as a SEAL. 
And I thought, you know, who's that guy that uh, that needs to take a risk, that needs to do something different, that needs to do something darker? Um, and I thought Chris Pratt's the guy. Like he hasn't done this yet, so he wasn't the typical person you'd think of that has already done these roles, has done the action stuff before, done the tough guy role before. Uh, so I didn't think in those terms. I thought of, hey, who can pull this off? Because I need a likable character. I need a likable actor to play this part. It's just like as I created my character James Reese for the novels, I wanted a likable guy that you'd want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with, sit down and have a beer with, but who could also flip that switch and get it done. Um, and so I thought of Chris Pratt. And then I went back to writing. Didn't know that I had any connection to him whatsoever. And then years later, fast forward years later to the fall, November of 2017, before the first book comes out, and a buddy calls me from out of the blue. And uh, he's from the SEAL teams and he thanked, he's wanted to thank me for something I did for him in the, in the teams. And I couldn't even remember what it was, but he said, uh, you sat me down and you were the only person that talked to me about transition and you introduced me to people in the private sector. I always wanted to thank you. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And then uh, he said, I heard you have a book coming out. And uh, I said, yeah, it comes out in a few months. I can send you this early copy called a galley. It's like a rough draft. And he said, yeah, it'd be great, but I'd like to give it to a friend of mine. And I said, who's that? And I said, Chris Pratt. So Chris read it on, I think, December 28th, 27th, 28th of 2017, and a week later, he uh, he optioned it. So, uh, yeah, just absolutely crazy. And then the only person I ever envisioned directing it was Antoine Fuqua. And he's, he did Training Day, Tears of the Sun, Magnificent Seven, Shooter, Equalizer, uh, and he's such a great guy, just incredible. Um, and he's directing this first episode. So it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy how it all came about. Wow, that, that's phenomenal, Jack. Yeah, to see that visualization come into fruition here, that, that, that is crazy good. And one thing I'm curious to, to ask you, I've had like Sean Parnell and Brad Taylor. I'd love to ask these guys, uh, how, how, is it, how, how is it writing for the female characters in your novels? Like, I'm sure that had to be difficult, and you're, I'm sure you've transitioned along the way here. But do you like bounce this off of certain females to say, hey, am I getting this right? Like, how do you go about trying to get inside the, the headspace or write for the female characters? Yeah, no, I don't do that at all. Um, and I, I think what another thing that made this stand out to Simon and Schuster is that I had strong female characters, and I didn't do that by design. It was just very natural for me to have strong female characters because of the example of my mom and my grandmother, who are very, very strong people. Um, so I think it was just natural for me to to have that in there, particularly two two very strong characters in that that first novel. So I don't think that hurt. Now looking back with the uh, you know the benefit of hindsight, uh, it didn't hurt that it had uh, likable, strong, independent female characters in the first book that was totally not by design i was like oh where are things headed what are the trends i've never thought that and i think if you chase trends you're not really staying true to to yourself and your 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 creation essentially so it was just very natural for me to have these characters in there um so i didn't really yeah there was nothing i did uh, in particular i didn't ask my wife hey am i getting this right is this what is this how a female would think i didn't think about that at all i just created the characters just like i would anybody else yeah, very cool, Jack. And pulling it back into you as a father here, what would you say? Uh, what would you say are the top values that you're hoping to instill in your kids as they grow up? Yeah, well, we have a, a middle child with some very severe special needs, uh, which means he needs 24/7 full-time care forever. Um, and so, through that, and through the example of how my wife and I care for him, how we dealt with finding out at first, and then uh, how we—it's just become a part of our of our family. But what I what I hope our kids see through the example of how uh, we care for and love him is that it makes us more compassionate, uh, loving people in general. 
Um, and couple that with what I try to do with the kids is getting them outside, uh, teaching them to be independent, um, teaching them uh, to be responsible. Uh, I hope that makes them uh, better productive uh, citizens going forward. So um, I think those two things coupled together, that uh, compassion with how we have to be uh, taking care of our, our middle child. Um, and then also, you know, kind of talking about and living the example of being independent, being self-sufficient, uh, not uh, uh, you know relying on on, uh, on any, not 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 seeking any sort of entitlement for any sort of a situation that we may find our ourselves in. It's like you have to deal. You're going to get knocked down in life, uh, and not just getting back up and moving forward, but how you get back up and move forward is important because whether your your circle of influence is one person, 20 people, 20 million people, they're going to watch how you get back up, not just that you got back up. And move forward. So, uh, for our kids, we try to, you know, I guess it's through through that example that uh, that uh, that, I, that I hope they're they're taking some of these these lessons between between video game sessions um, and uh, as we move forward here. But what I really try also to talk to them about is, um, yeah, never pay attention to the odds. Like file that away because you only have so much bandwidth. If something's hard, don't get discouraged. Everyone's going to want to discourage you from doing something that's hard. That's I guess that's some part of human nature that I don't really understand, but it it exists. So don't pay attention to the odds. Use that bandwidth to get where where you want to go, and then along the way, never miss an opportunity to make somebody's day. Yeah, very very well said, Jack. And I I think unfortunately one of the things we're seeing a lot. I don't think we have. Uh, a, a culture of kids that's really prepared to fail so much because I think so many times we see this with the every kid gets a trophy type of philosophy and I think in sports is really the only time we get a chance to have our kids experience that loss like I got my older two kids wrestled they had a chance to get humbled on the mat my older guy is big into chess he, he's been beaten and, and that humbles you very much so uh, I think those experiences give them the chance to grow but unfortunately and with the pandemic canceling so much of sports I think that's really the only opportunity uh, they have a chance to get it to fail and to grow from it yeah, no, exactly. And uh, wrestling, jujitsu, like you're 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 gonna tap out uh, in the in the boxing ring. You're gonna get humbled, um, and you're gonna be pushing yourself. Like there are very like when I was going through buzz, I thought of my time on the mat doing jujitsu, my time in the ring boxing, um, because you're in there. It's mano y mano. It's only it's only you, your skill level, your uh, your creativity in both of those situations. Uh, so I think all that translates over. But you're absolutely right. Like the kids have to fail and they have to. Get back up from that failure uh, with maybe maybe help in hand, maybe not. Uh, get up, dust off, move forward, learn. Uh, but that's what's so great about wrestling and jujitsu in particular is that uh, those those instructors, those professors, those coaches, uh, they talk about, hey, you are going to either you, you win or you learn. Uh, that's yeah, and that's life. You know, you're yeah, maybe you win, or you're gonna learn something along that way because you're not always gonna win. Uh, you know, you're going to look at that as look at the win as the long term, look at it as the journey. But uh, yeah, I love how jujitsu incorporates that in essentially from day one, because you're never going to go in there and, and spend 10 years doing jujitsu, spend 10 years on that mat in that ring and win every time. That's not happening. <laughs> you're going to lose every time you go into that uh, into that studio. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu has really blown up in the last decade or so. I mean, it's great to see so many young kids are getting involved in it. 
And, I, you know, I'm curious to ask you this, Jack, to get a pen. I know we've had uh, it's kind of odd that we've had military members making these political statements using public platforms. And I've never really seen that before. So I kind of wanted to get your take on how dangerous that is to see. And the other thing, I had Jocko Willink on the show here not too long ago, and I asked him about uh, his opinion on the changes to the Navy SEAL ethos being gender neutral. So uh, what kind of opinion do you have on this about military members speaking out and then also with the gender neutral Navy SEAL ethos? Yeah, so I've been so busy lately that last night was the first time I looked into it. Like I heard last week about the, about somebody using an official platform to attack uh, someone with a private political view, and uh, and I was looking, I was trying to find it. I went to like the DoD thing, I didn't find it there, and then I got sidetracked with a gazillion things going on, so I didn't look into it. And someone else asked me again last night, and uh, I still haven't seen the actual like tweets because I was curious to see the actual one. I saw Ted Cruz's letter about the tweet, so that's all I've seen thus far because I haven't had. But I need, I want to go back and look at, uh, they told me it was like the Army uh, official account, uh, uh, Marine official account, something like that. So I need to go find those because I really want to be able to, to talk about the actual one, not just somebody else talking about the actual one. Um, so that's what this is uh, when I when I talk about this opinion. And yeah, it's, it's new. Uh, it's certainly different. Typically, these platforms have remained, at least from what I've seen, uh, and I don't spend all day every day searching through these things, but they've remained professional which is what we expect of our military is to remain professional and separate from the whatever's going on in the political arena and to do the job, which is to be prepared to go to war. Like that's it. And in war is to win the war. So that's, that's it. Like that's it. And if, and if what they're doing doesn't help that mission, uh, doesn't help improve that mission, doesn't help, uh, help build that foundation to be able to do that, then it's probably not appropriate. Um, so I want to go back and look at those exact tweets to see what they really said. But um, it's a departure in my experience, um, or maybe it's just being highlighted now, but uh, it's a departure in my experience from what the military has, the tradition that the military has adhered to, which is staying separate from the political fray. And that's been important to us um, in our country's history. And to see that start to erode is I, the 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 uh, most polite way to say it is that it's interesting, um, but what it probably is is more dangerous. Yeah, and I was just uh, thanks for weighing in on that, Jack. I, I'm just curious. I, I'm a guy that never served. I have nothing but respect for all the men and women of our armed forces that are protecting us every day. So, uh, and a lot of times too, these things get blown up on Twitter, and it's a lot of people retweeting headlines and making up memes, and it's just crazy how information is getting distorted and put. You never know what's real and what's not anymore. So, so that part of it is very, very frustrating. Yeah, that's why I'm going to go find those. But it's hard for me to find things on Twitter these days. Like I try to scrolling through and then there's a gazillion things going on. So, uh, but I need to, to look into that a little more. And then as far as the seal ethos, I was never a fan of the seal ethos. Hey, dads, are you looking to boost your energy level? Strike Force Energy has got you covered. With a Strike Force Energy packet, you can turn any beverage into an energy drink. Their original energy packets contain no sugar, no calories, just an explosion of energy and flavor added to any beverage. Strike Force Energy is veteran owned, and all their products are made right here in the United States. Co founded by Navy SEAL Sean Matson, Strike Force Energy blows away the energy drink competition. Right now, first class fatherhood listeners can save. 15% off their purchase by visiting StrikeForceEnergy.com and using the promo code FATHERHOOD. StrikeForce Energy turns any beverage into an energy drink. Get yours today. StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code FATHERHOOD. Uh, 
All right, dads, my pillow has got so much more to offer than just the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. But don't just take my word for it. Here's my wife to tell you her favorite product from my pillow. Honey, what is it? Well, I love all the my pillow products, from the robe to the towels. But my absolute favorite, hands down product, is the my pillow mattress topper on our king size bed. I have the best sleep since owning that topper. It's like sleeping at a spa resort, and I can't wait to sleep on it tonight. And I look forward to seeing you there tonight. And let me tell you something right now, guys. Happy wife, happy life. And this mattress topper has been a game changer for me. That's a guarantee. And speaking of guarantees. All my pillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. So what are you waiting for? First Class Fatherhood listeners can now save up to 66% off. That's right, up to 66% off your order using my promo code FATHERHOOD. Visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code FATHERHOOD to save up to 66% off or use the 800 number. That's 1-800-875-0219, 1-800-875-0219, and your savings will be applied instantly. Visit MyPillow.com, use the promo code FATHERHOOD, and save up to 66% off your order at MyPillow. A little more. And then as far as the seal ethos, I was never a fan of the seal ethos. Um, some guys went out to an island, uh, San Clemente Island, I think, in about 2000, let's say, five, you know, give or take a year there. Uh, the Rangers have had uh, a creed for a long time that really harkens back to their very early beginnings. Um, and I think the SEAL teams wanted something, wanted some sort of a, uh, a guide. Um, but I was never a fan of it because it didn't really – its basis was kind of like the the Mark 23 pistol from HK. When I first came in the military, there was this pistol and it was gigantic. And it was this huge, gigantic pistol because everyone's ideas got incorporated into this thing. So uh, they said, all these people came together. It needs this, the requirement, this is the requirement, this is the requirement, this is the requirement. So they met all these requirements. And what you had is this gigantic pistol uh, that looked like uh, it is huge suppressor. It has lights and lasers on it. Essentially it was a rifle. By the, by the time you got everything attached to this thing. And when the war kicked off, I never saw anybody actually carry one downrange. Um, and I kind of think of the Navy SEAL ethos the same way, is they got all these guys together on this island. They came up with all these wonderful ideas that sound nice. And then they created this thing that they could then point to and interpret really in any way they wanted to in order to say, you're not adhering to the ethos, you junior SEAL that uh, is downrange doing the job in a very ambiguous situation. So it turned into, like, it was weaponized, in my opinion. And if you needed something written down to guide you like that, I think you're, you missed it. Like along the way, somehow your parents, something or other, like we didn't test. Uh, we're not very good at testing for character in the teams. Um, but instead of coming up with ways to do it, and the Israelis do a very good job of testing for character uh, as they their, their uh, potential SEALs go through their pipeline. We don't do a very good job in the SEAL teams. So I was never a fan of it. Now, there is an ethos that I will not post because it's not out there um, that I think was came out of Vietnam. And I have a physical copy of this thing, and uh, it's it's hardcore, like it's legit. That's kind of the ethos that uh, that uh, that is more appealing to me. And I was given it as a brand new seal back in like 1997 or something, uh, and I still have it today. But it's never been posted anywhere. I've never seen it anywhere online, so I won't be the one to put it up. But uh, for me, that is more. Uh, it, it resonates with me more because it's about uh, fighting and winning wars. 
Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and you speak about the the Vietnam SEALs. I had the honor of having dinner with Michael Thornton and uh, and uh, Tommy Nor- Norris yeah. uh, at the Medal of Honor convention. It was really, I had Mike on the show here. I mean, really uh, incredible to spend some time with those guys and some of the other Medal of Honor recipients. But just to listen to them tell some of the stories was just a, a really a very memorable experience for me. So, um, yeah. and, and you know what? What's funny about what you say about that? I, I work on a railroad, and we have these like you know I'm a mechanic on diesel engines, uh, you know for the for the trains, and we'll have these safety rules that come up in the briefing or like when you're operating a chainsaw make sure that you have and we're all looking at you like I've, I've been there 21 years i've never seen anybody use a chainsaw like you know so it's like it's kind of confusing like they come up with all all these ideas so uh-huh yeah we call it the good idea fairy in the military <laughs> That's what they call it. it's a good idea fairy that floats down from senior level leaders and uh not always from senior level leaders but uh but oftentimes that's how it goes but yeah we have that, that same thing but yeah those vietnam guys i mean vietnam was a a watershed moment in special operations history uh and really we lived off the reputation of those guys hard work up until really September 11th. I mean, there are flashpoints here and there with Panama and Grenada and Mogadishu and, uh, you know, a little bit of Desert One, but, uh, but really we had not been in sustained combat operations since the end of Vietnam. And those guys, the tactics, techniques, and procedures that they came up with from uh, I think 1962 up to 1973, I think those were the dates that SEALs were actively involved in Vietnam. Um, we just took those and we dropped them down in the desert, in the mountains, in an urban environment, like we used those tactics and t- techniques and procedures for essentially everything up until September 11th. And then after that, in the mountains of Afghanistan and then in the urban environments in Iraq, um, we started to develop new tactics and techniques and procedures and evolve those. But really, there was a long time in there when we weren't involved in sustained combat operations that uh, uh, that we owe everything to the guys from Vietnam. Yeah, very well said, Jack. And then I'm just kind of curious to get your opinion on this. Obviously, uh, gun sales, uh, people that are applying for, for, for gun permits has skyrocketed over the last year with the pandemic, election cycle, whatever it may be, gun sales are true to roof. And uh, my, my question to you is, what kind of advice do you have for the dad out there who's not a gun owner, who's never been a gun owner, and he wants to protect his family, and he decides to go and get this permit, he's got kids in the house. What's the best kind of advice you have for that dad who's making that decision to reach out, get the gun permit, thinking he's doing the right thing to protect his family, which could go very left very quickly here? What kind of words do you have for that dad? Yeah, it depends. Look at your look at how much uh, you have to allocate towards this weapon and towards this, this endeavor. Um, and the most important part of that is the training. So uh, make sure that you allocate enough money, enough time to get to the range, not just with your buddy or whatever, but go to someone that whose only mission in life is to teach people how to be responsible with that firearm. Uh, and what's most important is to know your capabilities and limitations. So capabilities and limitations with whatever firearm you decide to get or whatever, uh, whether it's a rifle, it's a shotgun, it's a pistol, whatever it is, whether it's all three of those things or multiple of each one of those things, uh, it's really to become a student of weapon craft, put in the time, just like with jujitsu, just buying buying a gi or something like that is not going to do it. You got to put in the time on the mat. So in this case, you have to put in the time, not just on the range, but evolve those skills so that you're now doing scenarios. Um, and there are all sorts of people that are coming out of law enforcement, they're coming out of the military, uh, but they don't even need to have that background to be a great instructor. Um, you can be a great t- 
teacher without having that kind of a background. So, uh, but find someone that's reputable that you trust and focus your energies on the training side of the house. Don't just get it and put it by the bed and treat it as something that's, that's scary. No, you need to understand how this thing works and then your capabilities and limitations with it. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more to it than just what you see in t on TV. And if you're just going to go on a YouTube video or watch, assume that you know how something works because you've seen it in a, fun, a few different movies over the years, uh, that's not enough. No, allocate that funds to the training. That is the most important part. Yeah, great stuff, Jack. Yeah, I think if we see a couple of Instagram lives, we think we got it down pat, right? Yeah, 30 seconds. Okay, I got it. Okay, I got it. No, no, it's uh, it's it's going out there. And uh, and for me, it's it all depends on what people's finances look like. But um, but it's it's one of the most important things you can do as a, as a father, as a human, is protecting your family. That is your responsibility. That's how I look at it anyway. It's our responsibility uh, to protect those we love to provide for our families. And only for a very short period of time have we been able to outsource that by calling 911 or rely on someone else. Um, but typically, what do police do? Unless they're unless you're a mayor or somebody like that, and they have a protective detail that's standing right next to you, uh, they're coming after the crime. You're calling. They're coming after the crime has been committed already. So it's our responsibility to protect our families and to provide for our families. So uh, yeah, for a short period of time that we've been able to outsource that and put in food on the table by going to the supermarket. A very slim part of all of human history has this been the case. So uh, and we've gotten very comfortable with it very quickly. But it's important to take a breath and uh, look at things holistically and realize oh. What are my responsibilities here as a father? Oh, putting food on this table and protecting the ones I love. Yeah, awesome stuff, Jack. And let's go with the book here. Let's get a quick hitter here. Devil's Hand, the latest installment of the series. That's it, right there. What can a listener, I'm going to put the link in the description of this podcast episode. Listeners got to go and check it out. What can they expect to see in the new installment here? So I, yeah, I explored really what uh, I thought of in uniform and what I've thought a lot about since, which is what has the enemy been learning by watching us on the field of battle for the last 20 plus, well, 20 years of war now? Uh, what is Iran, China, Russia, North Korea, super empowered individuals, terrorist organizations, what have they learned by watching us and what have they taken and then applied to their future battle plans? And I started doing the research for this in the fall of 2019. So I've been studying uh, bioweapons, infectious diseases, the history of bioweapons and infectious when weaponizing infectious diseases. So when COVID hit, I was very, I was hypersensitive to what was going on. And as part of the theme of the novel, uh, I knew that the enemy wasn't just watching our response to COVID and going about their day. No, they're watching our response to COVID and they're seeing what lessons they can take and apply to future battle plans. And then same thing with the civil unrest of the summer. They're not just watching that with some sort of a passive type interest. No, they're looking at our response to that and they're looking at a contentious election and uh, they're looking at all of those things and applying them to future battle plans. So this book is uh, looking at us through the enemy from the enemy's point of view and me putting myself in their shoes and saying, hey, what would I do if I wanted to bring down an empire? How would I do that? And uh, that's the devil's hand. Yeah. Scary stuff, Jack. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, I, listen, I can't say how excited I am for you, not only for the new book, but for the new series. It couldn't happen uh, to a better guy, better dad. Uh, and so excited to see what's to come for you later in your career here. I know this is just really the beginning for you. So um, again, the link to Devil's Hand is in the description of today's podcast episode. Guys, please go check it out. And last thing I want to hit you with here, Jack, this is your second go around. Curious to see what you got for us here. I love to ask all the dads that are on the podcast. What type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father that's out there listening? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. If you if you think your life's not about to change, you're you're probably wrong, and it and it should change. If it doesn't change, uh, there, there's probably some other other issues there. But uh, for me, yeah, it's it's being that example that the because the kids are going to be watching. They're going to watch just like if you're in a leadership position uh, anywhere else in society, uh, they're going to be looking to you, and they're going to be taking an example from you, uh, good and bad. They're going to be watching everything that you do so uh this is your opportunity to to build the citizens of the future so passing along that uh that independence that responsibility um and uh and doing that in a way that's going to help all of us you know not just not just them but us as a country through how uh how they uh, conduct themselves as citizens so um so i think that's kind of the that's like kind of the baseline um but yeah it's 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 the uh kind of the most uh, I, don't, well, I don't know the best way to put it, but it's the best uh, best job you'll ever you're ever going to have, and the most important one, that's for sure. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been an honor for me to have you back on the show, Jack Carr. You're first class father all the way. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Take care, and looking forward to doing it again soon. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Jack Carr for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was such an honor. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys. Or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. And if you did enjoy today's interview and you want to hear other interviews with Navy SEAL dads, just go hit that treasure trove available in the archives of the podcast. You'll hear my interviews with guys like Jocko Willink, Marcus Luttrell, Andy Stumpf, uh, just so many frogmen that I've had the honor and privilege to interview here on First Class Fatherhood. Friday on the podcast, Backstreet Boys member AJ McLean joins me on the podcast. He's the second Backstreet Boy member to join the show here. I also had Nick Carter on the podcast a little while back. That's available for you guys to listen to as well. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.